0: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Emily Kwong here with Shortwave host Maddie Sofia.
0: hey uh, real quick, before we get started, we just want to say thank you so much to everybody who's been listening to Shortwave so far. Thank you. If you're enjoying the show, do us a favor by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the show in front of all kinds of new people. Which is what we want. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> all right, Maddie. So it's our very first listener question Woo-hoo! episode. Woo-hoo! And we're keeping it Halloween-y one more day. Because we do what we want. Yeah. We asked for your Halloween-themed questions. Yes. And we got a lot of awesome questions from you guys. Y'all are weird. Like, good weird. A bunch of you wanted to know why people seek out scary situations. We're talking haunted houses, scary movies, puppets. It's not scary, Maddie. Well, Kwong, do you like to be scared? I really enjoy being Ah! scared. Yes!
0: You are the worst! This is planned! You said you liked it! I do like it! So we did plant our producer, Britt Hansen, in the corner hiding to pop up. And now Emily Kwong is on the ground. Honestly, that was the best thing we've ever done. All right, moving on. All right. So one person who, like you, also loves scary stuff is our listener, Charlotte Decker. Hey, shortwave. So October is my favorite time of year. And I tend to get into the Halloween spirit by doing things like watching lots of horror films, and going to haunted houses. Uh, However, it does strike me as kind of counterintuitive to willingly put myself into scary situations for fun. So I was wondering if you would be able to shed some light on what exactly is behind this psychological drive that's shared by myself and others this time of year to willfully scare ourselves as a form of entertainment. (laughs)
1: Charlotte, great question. Every time I've gone to a haunted corn maze, I've asked myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing
0: this? (laughs) So I went hunting for answers. Okay. And I spoke to Ken Carter, a psychologist who teaches at Oxford College of Emory University. And he's written a book about people who love intense experiences. And my favorite thing about him is that he himself is a big old scaredy cat.
2: I was actually... um... I don't want to say forced, but I was um, forced um, to go to a haunted house for a photo shoot.
0: So you had a great time there is what I'm saying.
2: Um, We actually didn't go into the haunted house. (laughs) Um, We were out in front of the haunted house and the uh, photographer Kay actually kept telling some of the actors to come out and frighten me.
1: Today on the show, Maddie talks to Ken Carter about why some people are wired to enjoy scary or intense things more than others. All right, Maddie, so what did Ken have to say about Charlotte's question?
0: Okay, so the first thing he told me is that Charlotte is probably a person that's called a high sensation seeker. Mm. What's that? Basically, it's people that crave intense experiences that they're willing to take, like, physical or social risks to have those experiences.
1: And how can you tell if someone is a high sensation seeker or not?
0: So there are, like, four things that kind of factor into that. And that's how much you like really thrilling experiences, like our listener Charlotte, who likes haunted houses, how much you're willing to seek out new experiences, stuff you've never experienced before, how much you can tolerate boredom, and how much you're willing to be, like, wild and unrestrained
2: the people that are the high sensation seekers these are the people who can really tame chaos Um, and there's some physiological traits to them um, that make that easier for them actually
0: right so tell me about some of the differences between people like charlotte who like scary stuff versus people like you who don't like being scared
2: Yeah, so you're probably familiar with sort of the fight or flight response. Yes. Um, And so uh, cortisol is one of the uh, hormones that's sort of responsible for um, getting us ready to fight, flee, or freeze in those situations. Mm -hmm. Uh, I prefer freezing. Yeah, I'm more Um, of a
0: flyer myself. You're a flyer? Gotta go. (laughs) I'm definitely not going to fight. And if I'm going to fight, I'm going to bite. But keep
2: going. <laughs> and so what, what, what we find is that there are some people um, that are high sensation seekers. Um, they don't produce that much cortisol in those situations. So they, um, we, we think about them being adrenaline junkies. But what they do produce more of is dopamine, which is that um, neurotransmitter that's associated with pleasure.
0: So the folks that like scary stuff Mm -hmm. have kind of a less of a stress response during the scary stuff and more of a like, this is fun response.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And then the low sensation seekers, on the other hand, um, they're producing more cortisol. So they're, they're actually getting their body ready to fight the danger. Mm-hmm. And they're probably not producing that much dopamine, so that they are sort of seeing it as a dangerous kind of thing. Right. Um, there's another sort of layer to it, which is there are two different systems in your body that sort of respond to the things around you. Mm-hmm. One's called the behavioral inhibition system. And the other is the behavioral activation system. And these are sort of like traffic lights um, that sort of respond to things around you. The behavioral inhibition system says, oh, this is something that's possibly dangerous and bad right. and tells you to stop. And the behavior activation system tells you this is something's good. Approach it. And... People that are high sensation seekers may have overactive or really high approach systems, and says, "Oh, that looks really great. Go towards it."
0: Right. So they're just like green light all the time. Let's do exactly.
2: this. Exactly. Let's do this. And because they're not having as much of a um, inhibition system, that's the bad. You know, step away from it. They're approaching those things more often.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense to me. Cool. Okay. I'm trying to think about, you know, like experiences in my own life. Yeah. So, okay, so I do, I do a lot of like whitewater kayaking, which hmm. is, can be very intense. But I find I like it so much because when I'm in that situation, which can be intense and scary, I feel kind of like it's nice to focus on the one thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like all yeah. I have to think about is not trying to die in that boat. <laughs> and I'm also having a lot of fun. Is that real?
2: Oh, yeah. So there's a psychologist, uh, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, and he talks about the state that people are in called the flow state, Ooh, where like sort that. of time sort of passes away and they're sort of focused on the thing that they're doing. And high sensation seekers sort of love to get into that flow state. And when you're doing that, you know, whitewater rafting, it's like your body knows what to do. And so a lot of people feel like a lot of times that these high sensation seekers do these reckless things. Interestingly, sometimes they don't perceive the things that they do as reckless because their body's telling them that it doesn't feel dangerous.
0: Do we know why this is a thing, like from an evolutionary standpoint or anything like that?
2: You know, we, we kind of need them. Um, you know, we need them as first responders, right? And mm-hmm. so we want people who can save us during certain times. You you want a high sensation seeker in the cockpit of an airplane during an emergency. Mm-hmm. You do not want someone like me um, working in an emergency room. Mm-hmm. I would be overwhelmed with all of the chaos. Luckily, when there are emergencies that happen, training can kick in for a lot of people. But, you know, there there are some advantages to having high sensation seekers around us for sure.
0: So, OK, is Charlotte always going to be a thrill seeker or does this change with age? Like, is she going to grow out of this?
2: Yeah. So what I've been finding is that um, the research suggests that high sensation seeking tends to peak. Um, in adolescence, mm. which probably explains why a lot of the videos that you see on, online are uh, people in adolescence doing these kinds of things. Oh. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that, that may be environmental that can influence that. Um, There's something that a lot of the people I've been talking to um, say that that I call anchors, which are people that sort of pull them back from their high sensation seeking things. And these can be either family members Mm -hmm. or when people Mm -hmm. have kids. I talked to one woman that said that she loves going skydiving, but Mm -hmm. her husband Mm -hmm. reminds her that she has kids who would like for them to continue to have a mom, and that maybe she shouldn't skydive as much as she would want to. And so those individuals may decide not to do as many of those kinds of things. So, you know, there may be some changes in terms of biological kinds of things that may um, make people not be as sensation-seeking as they get older biologically, and also maybe even sort of environmentally.
0: This is fascinating. It really is. Uh, Thanks for bringing this in, Maddie. Well, thanks Charlotte who made this all happen. Charlotte, we appreciate you. And yeah, Ken Carter is a riot. His new book is called Buzz Inside the Minds of Thrill Seekers, Daredevils, and Adrenaline Junkies. If
1: you have a science question, you, listening to this podcast right now, please send it our way. We might answer it in a future episode.
0: Just shoot us an email over at shortwave at npr.org.
1: And we'll be back next week with more Shortwave from NPR.
0: This week's episodes of Shortwave were produced by Brett Bachman, Rebecca Ramirez, and Britt Hansen. And edited by Viet Leigh.